Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome, vetgurus.com. Brendan here with Mark, episode 133, Friday, April 24th, take two. Um, Just quietly, we um, tried to record this last night and um, it didn't quite work out, did it, Mark? Um, We had some technical glitches, as they say, in the... um, in the industry, um, and that was mainly us throwing things around the room and um, swearing a little bit, and then we gave up. Um, but here we are, and we're ready to roll. Um, and I think, Mark, I think part of the reason why we're having trouble was the companies that offer everything from um, um, webinars to audio um, Skype type meetings, and that have been inundated during the work from home situation and it includes the company that we use which have been fantastic as a general rule um, and I think they might have been a bit overwhelmed with connections yesterday Mark well that's my excuse anyway how's your day been it's been a good day Brendan we've had a good day at work and you know nice cases do you want to know my um my biggest issue at the moment I do it's facial hair. I don't know what to do with them. Um, when we went when we went on holidays, I um I was so occupied that I didn't uh, shave. I didn't routinely I shave twice a day, but I didn't while we were away. And by the time I got back, um, I had quite the explorer rubble, uh, the explorer stubble happening, and um and I've sort of kept it going, and and I don't know what to do with it now. Should I take it off or leave it there, Brendan? It's a little bit like a, you know what it reminds me of a Richard Branson look. <laughs> you can tell that to your lovely wife. It does. I think the way it's sort of growing there, it just reminds me very, very much like him. Well, you've probably um, gazumped me there, Mark. Um, one of the reviews that I'm planning on doing is um, something that might help you with that. But um, oh, excellent! It, hasn't, it has not arrived by post yet. It was due to arrive last. Well, this Monday, so three or four days ago, still hasn't got here. So um, perhaps we can review it next week. So we'll chat about it then. But as far as, well, what does your wife think about the facial hair situation? She, she's pretty much a, a go with, you know, the, the, the soul of the person underneath, <laughs> whatever, whatever works. So, um... so she doesn't like it. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading between the lines here. Um, well, I know you sent me a photo yesterday and it was, I think, you with your um, surgical loops on. Was that correct? Um, Well, the the photo I sent, yeah, that's an interesting story as well. I did some some drunk internet um, uh, purchases and I, so about six months ago, it must have been late at night, I'd had a few beers and I quickly checked my social media and, and one of these ads came up and, you know, for... I can't remember what it was, $27, I could get a, what looked like a pretty flash, um, a flash a chargeable um, magnifying loop. Yes. And so I am, um, you know, in, in those early hours of the morning when you're affected by an excess of tiredness and alcohol, I, I bought it. 
um, only to regret the purchase almost every day since. Um, and, you know, Kate, Kate is fairly frugal and so those sorts of behaviours are one of the rare things that come between us. Um, and, and, and worst of all, I thought, you know, it's been six months and I thought, there you go, done that, 30-odd dollars. But it turned up in the mail yesterday morning just popped out of nowhere. Um, it does feel like it has a, a slightly disposable character to it for $27, but I don't know. It, I'm, I'm actually, I've been using them quite a lot over the last 48 hours, and I'm pretty pleased with it, all told, for um, for whatever it was, $27. I'm pretty happy with it, Brendan. Oh, good. So they do work, and they do magnify by the sound of things. Oh, who cares about that? It's just how you look, isn't it? Well, if it's how you look, I think you need to throw them out right now, Mark. <laughs> okay, let's get off the chit-chat and uh, get stuck into this this um, episode, Mark. You wanted to chat a little bit about, um, well, the current topic of the world, the COVID-19, and the potential transmission or not from fomites, including pets, Mark. Um, and it's a really good summary, isn't it? It's an excellent summary. Well, obviously, this is one of the clinician's brief documents. And it and I love it because it is so, um, you know, evidence-based um, and logical. And, uh, and yeah, it really gives a, gives a considerable confidence to, um, to our discussion about the risks of... Um, coronavirus of uh, SARS-CoV-2. Um, so the main issue in that's discussed in this article is the risk of pets and, to a lesser extent, fomites um, in the transmission. So I think everyone will be pretty aware that um, that the main, if not the... Uh, you know, the vast majority of, of infections are generated by uh, uh, droplets uh, that are um, that are coughed or spluttered or sneezed by infected people that contain the virus. These droplets are of a size that um, generally are accepted to, to only stay um, airborne for uh, six feet or so. Um, and, and so... Uh, that's the primary route of uh, transmission. There is also, um, you know, some information about how long the virus will survive on various surfaces. Um, that's been uh, discovered by research. And those numbers are pretty, uh, for me, they were fairly encouraging, Brendan, because um, the stuff, the, vi the virus, um, SARS-CoV-2, um, only survives for... Um, four hours on copper, for example, cardboard for 24 hours, um, 72 hours for um, on plastic and stainless steel, but it's readily destroyed by, um, uh, by cleaning, by uh, almost all routine detergents because it's an enveloped virus um, and it counts on that envelope for its... Um, uh, its stability, um, the normal detergents disrupt that envelope very successfully and render the virus uh, um, innocuous. So uh, any of those surfaces uh, can be cleaned and made um, no longer dangerous by, clean, uh, by any antiseptic. But for pets, and all of us as vets are always conscious of the potential that um, that pets can provide, and particularly um, as maybe uh, 
um, fomites as maybe not necessarily infected, uh, but um, you know, if someone was to cough on them, uh, how would how dangerous would that be? Well, I think uh, this brief gives me this clinician's brief gives me much confidence. There's no evidence that there's been any. Uh, situation where, um, uh, where where pets have become fomites. There is a number of situations around the world where um, domestic animals, dogs, and more more likely cats, um, uh, and at least theoretically ferrets could be infected. Um, but no cases where uh, fomites have uh, pets acting as fomites have been a problem. It's still prudent, I think, Brendan. Um, and I think one of the big questions that everyone needs to everyone who works in a veterinary practice needs to ask anyone they're dealing with is if they're sick. Because if someone does have, you know, a, a, um, a cold that is associated with coronavirus, um, then that's obviously that's the patient that's going to be most at risk and those sort of preparatory questions are really important and for pet owners it's probably really important that if they are one of the people unfortunate enough to contract the disease that um, that they behave with their pets exactly as they would with other people that is uh, provide some social distance and pets probably of people who do contract the coronavirus probably um, it's a good idea to contemplate um, having one of the relatives look after them because you know you want to maintain that social distance and uh, uh, not have any hugging or kissing or sleeping in close proximity so that they there's uh, even less chance that they can act as fomites um, so I think the news is good Brendan um, that it's a very it's- Yes, it's an excellent, an excellent summary, Mark, and I think it follows on. Well, it's a prelude to our main topic this week, which um, fits in quite nicely with that one. So, yeah, it's a great, a great little summary there, and we'll put a link to it in the show notes if you go to vetgurus.com and look for this episode. Um, well, I have a follow-up, Mark. My, yep, my I, new story. I love, it. Fo- I love it when you do your homework. It's a follow-up to, well, and we had, did have some feedback, some positive, mostly positive, and some sort of bit questionable about the game I was playing, Plague Inc., um, and I love the company that um, that does this, um, mainly because of two things. One, what they released in this press release um, recently, but also the name of the company is called Endemic Creations, Mark, <laughs> um, spelt N-D-E-M-I-C, Creations, and on behalf, and this is from their press release that they put out um, late March, Mark, on behalf of all players of Play Game, we've made a $250,000 donation split between the Coalition of Epidemic Preparedness Innovations, CP, and the World Health Organization's COVID-19 Solidarity Response Fund, um, which is fantastic. A quarter of a million US they've um, contributed to it and they just so, and and those particular companies have been delighted with it. And one of the interesting things, um, which is a follow-on from it, was when arranging their donations with the WHO and CEPI, they were repeatedly asked if they could make a game which turned it upside down so which let the player work to stop the outbreak instead of um, wanting to um, kill the world and infect the world Um, therefore as well as providing financial support according to this um, press release we are accelerating work on a new plaguing game mode which lets players save the world from a deadly disease outbreak 
and players will have to balance managing disease progression, boosting healthcare, controlling real-world actions such as triaging, quarantining, social distancing, um, etc. So I'm really looking forward to that. And they've they they haven't released it yet. They're working on it and they're planning to release it as a free update to all, all players for it. So I think that's fantastic. And just um, the final thought on this particular game was it does have already has some extra game modes, Mark, and I did play one of the other game modes instead of just trying to infect the world with your virus. One of the other game modes, and you will love this, is called um, Fake News. <laughs> and the whole aim of it is you can select from all these different scenarios from about four, four or five options, and you, the aim is to infect the world with fake news. And if the whole world's infected with the fake news, you've won the game. So my selection, Mark, when I played it, I've only played it the one scenario, was you had to select who was distributing the fake news, and, it, and I selected politicians, of course, um, and what was the fake new, news that they were trying to um, spread, and it was that global warming was false, I selected, and so it's all the pretty obvious ones, and who were they trying to um, discredit, and I chose scientists for that, and then you had to select a country you you always have to select a country where the virus or the or the fake news or whatever starts in and the obvious one i selected was the usa mark <laughs> so and it, and it worked very well for about the first month or two and everybody was um enjoying the fake news and believing it and 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 you then have to allocate your resources according to where you think you'll you'll get the most um, um, traction, um, for instance, on social media, or do you put it in old, old style newsprints or letter drops, or do you um, put money towards social influencers and get them to spread the fake news for you? So you have to allocate all your resources, and, and the combination of how you allocate them and reallocate them is how you potentially spread it and, and get word out there. But I'm sad to say that um, people stopped um, listening to my fake news. And, um, <laughs> The world um, sort of um, well inoculated itself from from me, and I lost the game fairly um, rapidly within within a couple of weeks after that, Mark. So so there you go. So um, well, it doesn't it doesn't bear much resemblance to the real world, then, does it? <laughs> that's right. I'll have to try that method again. So um, yeah, but I'm very much looking forward to um, the update where you the player works to stop the out. Outbreak and you have to allocate your resources to things like social distancing, etc. Probably still not as much fun as killing the world um, <laughs> with your virus, but um, there we go. So enough about endemic creations, but it's just good to see that they've you know helped out and they've literally donated two hundred and fifty thousand um, to try and help solve or help um, cure people. Mark, so just as a little um, sideline, um, it is a great. Th- I just want to sing out and say that um, private companies or people that do that sort of stuff I really have a high opinion of but I don't know that that stuff worries me that it that uh the financial good of organizations like who or whatever it is depends on the appropriate philanthropy rather than adequate funding from governments how do you feel about that Brendan well, I think you know my answer to that, and and we've certainly had some examples of that here in Australia, Mark, with with responses to various types of disasters. You know, the one that always sticks in my mind is the response to the bushfire relief um, situation here, especially in Victoria, but Australia wide, with the um, Black Saturday bushfires, and they 
Well, they poured a lot of money into. I think they might have had a, a, an inquest into the um, whole whole fire or fires and um, developed a, a plan and a protocol for it. And they let it run for six to six months to a couple of years or so, I think. And then um, they decided they're not going to fund it anymore, either state or federal. Um, and um, I think it's typical, isn't it, of humans? We've, you know, and I've said it several times before. We're very good once a disaster hits. Usually, most people pitch in and we, we try and help solve it, but we're bloody hopeless with trying to prevent things and, and we um, lose the, lose the um, long-term sight, don't we, um, of, of trying to prevent it and just throw, throw in some money at diseases and to try and cure them or, or help prevent them spread um, is going to save us a lot more money in the long run. But the politicians, I think, are always looking for the short-term saving or the, getting re-elected. Well, you know... That's my thoughts. Them's my thoughts, Mark. You're a wise man, Brendan. You're a wise man. So tell me about um, house calls. Do you do you do house calls at your practice? Yes, we do. So our main topic this week is house calls or home visits, and I know most veterinarians at some stage in their careers will have done home visits or house calls, and I'm sure a lot of vets do home visits all the time, especially if they're doing large animal mixed practice. But we're, I suppose we're particularly talking about the small animal um, aspects there. And we do do them occasionally, Mark, and, it, and it's generally the very good clients and the very long-term clients that we've bonded extremely well with. And um, a fair number of those in over the recent years have been, not that we do a lot, we do very few, would be home euthanasias, um, although we have an excellent veterinarian locally who provides a home euthanasia service for the whole Melbourne area, and that's all she does, home euthanasias, and she's excellent at it, and, that, and she gets rave reviews or, or responses to her, her kind way of um, um, dealing with it. So we don't, as a routine, do it. So, And I know this is why I wanted to put it on the topic this week, Mark, that you have been doing some house calls or home visits during this COVID-19 pandemic. And um, I was curious about um, how that whole process works with you, Mark, how you deal with the patients and how you keep your biosecurity measures up and, and whether the clients are appreciative of it, whether you think it's it's not not that um, it's probably poor wording, but that it, it d- does it pay for itself? Is is it is it is it a reasonable? Um, is it good for your business? Um, I know that you'll just be doing it because you think it's the right thing to do, which is what you always do. But um, yeah, um, walk me through some of those answers, Mark, to my questions. Well. Uh, we do routinely do a low number of of home visits of visiting houses. We've got we're lucky in one sense that we've got a couple of um, aged care facilities um, and um, uh, you know the the um, residences, the the small suburbs that pop up with um, uh, relatively well supported. Uh, uh, houses, those sorts of things. Um, and so we've got a significant number of people local to the practice who are of a certain um, age and health that makes it difficult sometimes for them to get to the hospital. Um, and those, particularly those situations, um, 
it's much more, I suppose, predictable, um, and um, and we have been able, uh, particularly after getting over the first stage of um, of our coronavirus restrictions, to uh, reinstitute those home visits with some adaptions, as you uh, suggested, some uh, additional steps that we take to make sure that um, that the, there's uh, minimal risk to the staff in those circumstances. The other thing that's good, so, go on, so you go. My, my only thought about that is so visits or, or treated animals in aged care homes, what's your general recommendations about having pets with elderly people that are probably immunocompromised and which pets do you recommend? Well, we have, uh, um, our, our recommendation is that, um, is that people probably don't necessarily, uh, you know, if they're at that age where they need some supported living, um, then it's probably not the right time for them to take on a puppy. Um, and uh, and they, but there are, uh, fortunately here in Newcastle, there are a number of arrangements where they can take on, um, you know, animals of a, a sort of. A more appropriate age who uh, who can fit in with them. We don't generally see we don't you know obviously I don't think it's wise for them to take on birds or reptiles, uh, but the more traditional companion animals, dogs and cats, um, definitely seem to improve their quality of life. And particularly, uh, these people often are in a situation where. Um, they have some means, um, they've downsized, they've sold their house, they now have a, a smaller um, uh, uh, financial responsibility and so they're quite uh, capable of providing excellent standard of care. Um, but I don't, I, we do are a little bit careful about the risks associated with um, zoonoses and so as well as looking after um as well as looking after ourselves in a biosecurity sense, we're, we're always suggesting that people do the right thing and wash their hands and all the rest of it. But I, I'm firmly yes. of the opinion that uh, people are happier in these facilities when they have access to animals. Yes, I agree 100% with that. It's a bit of a catch-22, isn't it, that they their faces light up, don't they, when they have the, the, the even if it's a, a therapy dog that visits just occasionally and isn't a resident animal in, in some of the larger nursing homes. They just love it, don't they? And it, and it's great. Um, so it's, yes, so it's selecting the right pets. And I know we have mentioned several times previously about proper pet selection for people who are immunocompromised or incorrect selection and especially with elderly citizens and also with youngsters in in preschools or or kindergartens as well Um, because we still mark and it it annoys the hell out of me we still get kindergartens um, here where they have a pet turtle or a pet um, lizard and the kids are allowed to carry them around and what do young toddlers do they love to shove things in their mouth or lick them or taste them um, or bite them and um, I'm just waiting for the day when one of these children becomes seriously ill or worse and the kindergarten gets sued and they won't have a leg to stand on um, with the insurance claim, I don't think. Um, but I'm right off topic here, Mark, so let's get back <laughs> to house calls. So so the 
What do you do? Do you do you gown up? Do you get every, everybody? Do do you, well start get, before get that. Start before because it does start like most things that we do. There's a little bit of preparation and uh, starting before you even get there. Making and at the moment, this is one of those things that uh, is even more important. So the questions like uh, getting a, a more firm hand on the nature of the problem before we even get there. So sometimes without coronavirus, we might uh, wing it a little bit, that we might know vaguely what's going on, but we'll figure it out when we get there. Um, That's much less the case with coronavirus. We want to be very prepared um, and uh, very efficient when we get there. So lots of questions about what goes on. And, and, you know, we have talked about it in other contexts, even to the point of uh, photographs or videos so that we've got a grasp of the true nature of the problem. And of course, the receptionists also ask about um, the people's health, because obviously um, we don't want to lob in on someone who is sick and make that problem worse. Um, And so just making sure that we get a clear answer before anyone shows up, that uh, we've got no coughing and temperature, those sorts of things happening. Um, then preparing the trip for the trip out, we make sure that we've got adequate amounts of uh, hand sanitizer and we use it copiously. We take some gloves with us um, and we were always, uh, you know, there's nothing worse than putting the gloves on and then um, then uh, behaving like there's some sort of magic barrier and, and uh, not uh, being strict about um, uh, hygiene and, and touching your face with the gloves is as bad as touching uh, your face with... Uh, without the gloves on. So uh, following all the the normal hygiene rules and changing the gloves when we need to. Um, and in some instances, not always, uh, but in some instances, particularly the times when uh, we can't do the examination in the yard, um, then we would take a face mask as well if we have to go into a space um, inside the house, maybe to look at a cat or um, whatever, um, and then making sure that we're as efficient as we possibly can be, being as quick as we can when we do get there. Um, is so, so when you arrive, yep. do you want to just walk through? Pun intended. The <laughs> process of examining the animal, and I presume most of these will be will be um, dogs or dogs cats. Cat. Is that correct? Yes. So the process would be that we um, arrive. Um, we have clean, uh, cleaned our hands, put some gloves on. We greet the uh, people at the door. We uh, confirm the arrangement that we're looking at a dog in the yard. Um, we run through the fact that we will need the dog to be um, on a lead um, and that we'll need to maintain the the appropriate 1.5 metre distance between us and other people. We talked about uh, in our Um, article about the risk of animals being fomites Um, and so that's why putting the gloves on and and taking them off and replacing them periodically through the examination I think is really important Um, and um, just uh, that that whole discussion before you go into your physical exam um, is an absolutely critical step, making sure. And what, the good thing about it, I think, Brendan, the thing I'd uh, really emphasise in my experience over the last couple of weeks is that, first of all, people really appreciate um, us coming to their place when they can't get in. They're worried. Um, they um, they might not uh, be as mobile, but they're very worried about their 
their pet and having someone come to see their pet um, is first of all puts their mind at rest and then they're very accommodating about the the uh, coronavirus protocols the biosecurity protocols there we've had no problem with people maintaining that sort of distance that's required um, we've had no trouble with uh, you know the sorts of things um, making sure that uh, uh, we have a lead on the animal it's all been very sensible and ordered at this stage and I think it's exactly the same with visits to the clinic we certainly found as well um, people are very respectful of and appreciative of uh, even though it's potentially inconvenient to sit and wait although some of them love it don't they they sit and wait in the car and then a receptionist or nurse comes out and grabs the animal gets the history takes the animal in they're, they're sitting there browsing the internet or, or drinking their cup of um, take coffee that they've brewed at home and um, yeah off they go we take we have the um for those ones and i'm a little bit off topic um our receptionist has a little wireless um um, tap and go payment that they take out into the um, car park and um, they can pay out there if they want to it's fantastic yeah so and what sort of ones I mean you said that you you aren't doing many of them obviously um, but w what's the most common reason you're going to do these um, home visits during the COVID-19 um, period we have now? Well, that's a really good question because I did pay some attention to it today and um, and lamenesses turned out to be the, I thought it might be skin conditions, but by far and away the most common thing we've uh, gone out for has been um, uh, uh, lamenesses that people have picked up on. And I, I, I sort of, I don't even know, I've, I've got, a, my theory is that it's probably the case that people are paying more attention to the gait of their animal because they're at home. Um, but, but yeah, um, uh, sore legs seems to... Maybe they're walking them more as well. Maybe they're doing a little bit of the uh, um, uh, exercise with the dog and, and uh, triggering some of those discomforts in the leg. But lamenesses has been the most common thing we've gone out for, Brendan. So do you have these clients prepay uh, before you head out there a consultation or do you go out and take the payment in the field or do they phone base phone back to the clinic to make the payment for the consultation our system is a phone phone back to the hospital so once we've done the procedure um uh, um uh, it might be so for many of these lamenesses, we might be then scheduling, um, uh, prescribing some non steroidals and scheduling um, radiography. Um, and so uh, they would, um, the nurses would, at the time I get back to the hospital, phone the clients, get payment, and then we'd organise delivery of the medication and schedule the radiographs. Excellent. That's probably what we do with our consultations because we don't have those in the field um, payment systems and I know most of the mixed practices and certainly the large animal practices have the the little um, cellular um, payment system and that that they can easily take the payment at the farm gate um, for that for those animals um, I think Mark I reckon what we're going to do is we're going to make this a short and sharp podcast and finish it here and which introduces the possibility of a second related topic where we go through house calls, so traditional house calls, not during a pandemic, and some of the tips and tricks that you and I have found over our too many years of being veterinarians of what to do and what don't 
do and um, what to take and what to pack in the little um, box that you take out there, whether to take a technician or nurse with you or go alone. Um, and, um, yeah, um, I think that's a, a, a we'll, well cover at least half an hour for doing that, that particular <laughs> topic. So instead of doing it, I'm um, covering it today, um, I think we'll leave it here and um, we will um, have a couple of reviews next week um, and I'm looking forward to that. There's one in particular that I think we've both um, will have comments on, which is which is something that I think a fair number of our listeners will have listened to, Mark. It's a series that it's been been on Netflix and um, I think you know what that, that will be and we will talk about that next week and we'll give it a score out of 10. We'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time.